Loving Father, we want to bless you once again this morning. You are the maker of the heaven and the earth. We are your people and just the sheep of your pastures. Redeemed by the blood precious of the Lamb. And through the, the gospel of salvation. We thank you, Lord, for you are building up your church. And the gate of the Hades will not prevail against the church. We give you praise and we give you glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Um, it's good to say that um, yesterday I was uh, very, very saddened because uh, things seem to be going a little bit all over the place. Um, I'm referring to the body of Christ, the church itself. Uh, things that used to be outrageous before no longer bothers anybody anymore, uh, which is really a sign of the end time. Someone sent me a link yesterday on Facebook. There was a, I don't know his name, he's a pastor, I don't know who they are. And uh, with a believer kneeling down at his feet completely. And uh, people were very excited about it. People were clapping about it. It didn't seem to bother. It had cameras and everything. And the person was kneeling down at his feet. I look at all the comments on Facebook. People were overly excited. A lot of amens to that. Now, I did not know what to do. I did not have time to write an article about it. All I did, I just searched the Bible to see what the, what the Bible says, if that was right. The first one was in Revelation. The Apostle John the Elder was very astonished by the revelation he was receiving to the point that he fell down at the feet of the angel. I am in Revelation 19 verse 10, I think it is. And the angel says this, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow companion in the service. And then he said, worship God. That's Revelation 19, verse 10. What about Paul? I think he was Paul and Barnabas, I think it was. The Lord did astonishing miracles through their lives. And the heroes say, oh, surely the gods have visited us. And they say one of them was Zeus, the other one was Hermes. Paul and Barnabas tore their clothes. They say, no, there is only God who made the heaven and the earth. You should not do that. But that's the biblical model we have here. How come believers cannot see that? How? That they will kneel down in front of a man. A man who calls himself a pastor in front of cameras. 
and he's on Facebook and believes are saying amen, amen, amen endlessly. I stopped, I couldn't continue. It was yes, amen, yes, amen, yes to the end. I said, I'm not wasting my time to write an article. But that's, I'm not under any illusion. That's, that's the state in which the church is. I've always said in the past to our children that I'm not under a shred of illusion that all of you are Christian. As you walk with the Lord, it will become clear before who is believer and who is not. Because it's not passed from parent to children. Well, I say the same in the church. Just because people are sitting there and serving and is not guarantee that we are all saved. As we walk, it will become apparent. Remember what I told you? It's the night that confirm if a child is part of that household. Because in the night time, all the children are in the house. You know, one, two, three. Oh, these are of there. As the night approach and the sin abound, it will become clear who are Christians and who are not. Let's continue to move forward. Things are tricky. Very, very, very tricky. Praise the Lord. Have I prayed already? Okay. The way of the master is the topic today. The way of the master is the topic. I know we still need to, to look at Philadelphia and then Laodicea, but that will come after. So we pause a little bit, and we looked at this mini-series I have been teaching in Tuesday prayer meeting there. That mini-series is about practical Christian living. This is not theology, and you write. If you think that these things are really, really basic, you 100% correct. I call this back to the basics. The underlying motivation behind this is that we no longer know the difference who is Christian and who is not a Christian. Yet we are called to be Christ ambassadors. There's no more difference. Christians Wives, the same as pagans, wives. Christian husbands, the same as husbands. Rudeness, no respect, stubbornness. The church itself, we don't know who is who. Everybody just doing everything. We don't know. The notion of authority is not there. There's no respect. Everybody is rude. We don't know who is. In workplace, we cannot tell who is a Christian and who is not. I hear quite a lot about Christians claiming to be persecuted in the workplace. When you look carefully, many Christians are very rude. They're not showing Christ's character. In fact, I told you the story of that uh, visit to an office and, uh, and the guest told the receptionist, uh, uh, I'm looking for uh, that. He said the name. And the receptionist said, oh, is your friend? Say, yes, she's a sister from our church. The receptionist said, <coughs> she's a Christian. Oh. And the brother. What about a pastor who visited uh, a sister? <laughs> she visited a sister who was married. And, um, and the pastor came and then he was welcomed the ground floor. And uh, he was sitting in the lounge there. And uh, 
the husband uh, asked him in and the wife did not know that the pastor was already there and uh, the pastor just called the husband just called oh Chantal have you given me my he was an unbeliever have you given me what I, what I ask you and from upstairs she say you really powerful tool in the hand of the devil and the pastor was sitting down and he heard that and she came down and she saw the pastor oh hallelujah may the lord bless you and the husband came the husband came and he looked at the pastor he said take her out keep her in your church finish and the lady said pastor I always tell you this is how he treat me the pastor looked and said bye bye you're not welcome in the church either so many things going on behind closed doors of so called Christians children are disobedient parents are irresponsible husbands are given up ladies are super rude so nothing works but when we sit in the church like this you see everybody smiling you think ah, we're all Christian everything is okay go in families and see what is happening see poison people are releasing for out of their mouth Men and women. No consideration at all. You don't know who is a Christian, who is not. All is left is Bible verses and bookish, intellectual and head knowledge. And there's nothing of substance in a workplace. Who will be Christ's ambassador? Nobody. Zero. Because that the situation in families. The church won't make an exception. We won't restart in the church because we only prolong what is happening in our life in the family. That's why you see tous les désordres. We don't know who is who, what is happening. Everybody's Billy Graham. Everybody's Ray Comfort. Everybody's the Apostle Paul. Who will humble himself? Nobody. That's the state of the church. That's the reason I'm telling you I am more concerned about I don't like people sending me conspiracy theories. I don't like that. Because they themselves are problematic. I'm more concerned about the state of the church itself. And I've warned you, I don't know how long it will take before we are infiltrated by homosexuals and they start accusing us and some of us begin to say, yeah, actually they have the points, a points. When they start tearing down your leaders, they always like that. How long will that take? You wait. If we are not vigilant. No difference between so-called Christian family. You know, I'm opposed to that expression anyway. Where are we going? I told you a story three weeks ago. In this church, I come in the morning, I approach someone, I say, hello, the person say, not today, in this church. I say, what's the problem? Is it health issues? COVID is gone. I say, not today. I've said hello to people four times in this church. Hello. 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 In this church. You can give your own testimonies. As well. In this church, it's not outside. Jesus, you are changing. Now, faut pas jouer avec Dieu. We don't play with God. You see, Christianity has its own features. Christianity has its own traits. 
to be recognized. The way of the master is the topic today. Oh, sorry about this. I forgot that I need to put a password. So this is part of a mini-series teaching on practical Christianity, Christian living, that we started sharing at Tuesday prayer gathering as Christ ambassador. So the first topic we looked at, we shared together, was, I think it was the issue of uh, humility. The second one was about the consequences of our present behavior in the future. Hating your brother or your sister without cause. Hating is already bad. But hating without cause, Christ says that's murder. Whether in the church or in your own biological family. If you hating your sibling, your brothers, without cause, you are a murderer. If I do, I am a murderer. The ways of the master. And I remember we prayed because we all in it together. We all need the hand of God. We all need deliverance from God. Christians are making no difference in families, in biological family. In fact, some of us are even the, the troublemakers in, in families. No difference, no patience, no forbearance, no forgiveness, no love, nothing. They are at the forefront of trouble in families. The way of the master. So, we will do uh, maybe, maybe three or four readings. Let's see how it goes. My intention is to start and close this topic today. I don't want this to drag on. So, the first reading is in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. And we're reading from verse 9 to verse 14. That Luke chapter 18 from verse 9 to verse 14. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Verse 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as rise his eye to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, the call in the Bible, 
repeatedly is for us to humble ourselves under the Lord's mighty hands. That's the general call. Humble yourself under his mighty hand. But the passage here says, he who exalts himself will be humbled by God. Oh, that's a serious business. If God gets into it to humble us, it is a very serious business. You see this shoulder here. When someone is overconfident, they shoulder like this. When God humbles them, they shoulder like this. See, someone is walking like this. Respect even children. Because God has put it down. Before God does that, everybody is like this. In French, we say bombe le torse. Like this. Strong people. Someone who has been handled by God does not do that. Does not even say, I'm broke. You hear a lot of young people say, you know, they value off back, I've been broken. No, young people are not broken yet. Okay, you still have a long way, life, to go. People who have been broken are there. They are even afraid to say, I've been broken. Lest God repeat the experience. And when you see them, you say, that's a broken life. They don't need to say anything. The Lord wants to do the work. The Lord wants to do the work. Until that happens, ça va pas marcher. He won't work. Remember what I told you the other day? The failure of God. Someone preached on the failures of God. Yes, God does not fail. But God tries so many things with us and we resist. Someone called that the failure of God. Politically incorrect. God keeps on trying, drawing our attention. Don't do that. This is my way. No, this is my way. No, do this. No, this is my way. Then God will find another way of doing the work. The way of the master. I receive few things from time to time. Been talking sometime to husband and wife and some of the things I hear. Let's see how far I'll go. Remember a man who was a... Uh, if you hear him talking, you will think he's really humble. Why? Because he was very quick at saying sorry. Very quick. In a day, he could say 100 times sorry to his wife. But this is how he put it. I'm really sorry that yet again you misunderstood me. Gosh. Ola, you have to help me one day because this password is... Okay. So, let's come back to the text then. Luke chapter 18. You see, the reason why I'm going so slowly is because I don't want to do theology. I'm not doing theology here. I want us to be practical, as practical as possible. Remember, I'm preaching my wife is there as well. So if she was in Congo, you say, well, because his wife is not there. I'm here as well. Yeah? So it's not easy for anybody, but the way of the master applies to everybody. That's what it is. Now, I'm going to ask a question. 
Who is the audience? Who is the, the target in this teaching of the Lord? Anyone? Us. Thank you very much. I wish I had a reward to give you. Thank you very much. May the Lord reward you. Thank you very much. I know it's in verse 9, but the real answer is what the brother said. All of us. I know it says the Lord spoke to them for the people who, you know, always trust in their own strength. I know all that. But if that was the case, the Lord wouldn't have allowed this to be put in, 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 in writing and sent to us. That means there is a portion for us here. Practical Christian living. Again, you may find this really basic. And if you find it really basic, you are in the right place. But the text says it was written to those who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on other, on everyone else. Yeah, look down on every haughtiness. Regarded the looking like this, everybody. I'm here, everyone else is here. To some people who trusted in themselves and that they were righteous and viewed or treated others with contempt. To people posing outwardly as upright and in right standing with God and who viewed others with contempt, that is, who scorned and made nothing of all the rest of the planet. You see, the prevailing culture of rudeness that is everywhere, including in the church. Do you know what rudeness means? Rudeness, it's an insult to God. Because the person to whom you are applying rudeness was made in the image of God. When you are rude towards someone, you're replacing that person by anything you think they are in your mind. Maybe a pile of junk. That's why you hear husband telling their wives, you know, uh, I deserve better. And the lady saying the same, I deserve better. There's no respect. Pride. Rudeness. Everywhere. Including in the church. And I'm not joking, and I'm not saying this with a smile. If I say to you, I'm angry in my heart, that would be an understatement when I talk about the church because we are Christ is kind you are here a lot about love we love each other but love is kind but how come we see such level of rudeness in the church how Jesus I love you Jesus I love you love is kind 
in Mark chapter 8 verse 22 to 25. That's Mark chapter 8 verse 22 to 25. We read this. Then he came to Bethsaida. That's Mark 8, 22 to 25. And they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. Verse 23. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hand on him, he asked him if he saw anything. Verse 24. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Some versions have, I see moving trees. Verse 25. Then he put his hand on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Verse 26. Then he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town, nor tell anyone in the town. Double action. Cold, washed, but not quite. Still dragging worldliness and pride and the ways of the world in the church. I've been like this in the world, you know, everybody clapped for me in the church, you know. That's why in the church we clap for, you know, the, the ex-musicians who come in the church because they bring the same reputation and we, we like them and we clap for them because, etc. And we, we like former celebrities, etc. Because that's how it is. Now, there is a process. When Paul came to the Lord and joined the congregation of the believers, anyone remind me what happened? They fled. They fled. They said, no, 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 no. This man, no. And there was Barnabas and other believers saying, no, 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 come back, come back, come back. He's been changed, he's been transformed. He received Christ, now come back. But you don't come in the church with your former reputation, what you want to come and impose in the church, and you expect everybody to bow down before you like that? No. That's why I've told you, we don't need to be witches. We don't need to have been astrologers to teach these things. We don't need to. Now, what's happening, we're having people who are coming from the psychological background, they're coming with that background to try and impose us their way of interpreting the Bible. The answer is no. You've got to come and start learning A, B, C, bit by bit like Paul did. That's the way of the master. Well, this thing... I want to get to like this forever. If, I promise you, if he does that again, I'm going to ignore it. So, this person here was healed by the Lord, but was seeing everyone else like a moving tree. That's quite serious. Try to imagine you talking to someone with a lot of interest and the person picturing you as a tree. Think about that. What did it take to correct the situation? A second touch from the Lord. Oh, now I can see human being created in your image. Remember, this person was already touched by God, but was still seeing blurry. 
seeing people as moving trees. Pride, arrogance, rudeness, those are the things of the world, not in the church. And I'm telling you firsthand, you know, I write a lot. I write quite a lot. I write a lot of articles. I write to people. And if I show you some of the reply I receive, you will be shocked. You can write two pages and receive this. You can encourage someone and write a page and someone does this. And you think, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to write to this person again. But if you don't, they will criticize you because an elder is not sociable. Then you begin to do things because you have to do them. Now, let's make life easier for everybody to serve the Lord easily. If someone gives you a gift, a card, something, say thank you. If someone calls you to ask how you're doing, be cheerful. Because those things take time to do them. If someone pays you a visit, be grateful. Okay. We're going to take off now a bit faster and see where we can get with this. So we have two characters here. Pharisees and tax collector. Let's look at the Pharisee first. Who is a Pharisee? A Pharisee is a follower of a sect. It's a sect. A sect of the Pharisees. Very radical and dogmatic sect. There were so many. They were very powerful. They were standing apart. You could recognize them by their ceremonial observances, etc. And... Uh, apparent sanctity and holiness. You see, they were wearing something here with all the sins forgiven. Normally that thing is called phylactery, phylactere in French. It's just this bit. It just reminds a few verses from the law of Moses, but they change that. They make it very long with here with a list of the sins forgiven. The Lord said, no, don't do that. They looked at the Mosaic law and then they imposed on it their own interpretation of the law. Here is an example. They come to the Lord, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? The Lord said, no, it's not. Well, you say it's not? Are you more than Moses? Moses said we can, all we need is to give a certificate of divorce. And actually, I saw that here in London where a pastor divorced his wife. And his wife went to complain to other pastors. And those pastors, they sent the wife away. They say, has he given you the certificate of divorce? She said, well, he wrote you know, on the back of an envelope. He said, well, that's what Moses said. It's okay. You can go. The Lord said, oh, is that what Moses said? Yes. But, yeah. No, that's not what the Lord said in the beginning. In the beginning, it was about a man leaving his mother and go to unite to his wife and become one flesh. And then let no one put asunder what God has united. Are you in contradiction with Moses? No, I'm not. Moses had to say something because of the hardness of your heart. Because you begin to send to divorce your wife, Moses said, at least give a reason. But in the beginning, that's not what it was. 
you put Moses in that position to do that. And Moses said, can you say, why are you divorcing her at least? What's the reason? But Moses never made that to become a law. But divorce be, be, be amongst the believers now, who cares? Who cares? Divorce there, remarry here, divorce there, remarry them. With ceremonies, yeah? With the church and pastor, you know, officiating on wedding, it doesn't matter, it's okay. Who cares? The word of God is being voided, Christ say. You're voiding the word of God with your tradition. As you can see, dear brother, we can go all over the place with these things. And you can begin to see how desperate we are. What do we do if we don't maintain the fullness of the counsel of God? What's the, where's the hope? Pharisees are mentioned about 95 times in the New Testament. Now, I tried to look that manually and found that a third of that was in the book of Matthew. A third. About 32 times in the book of Matthew. I said, why? What's, What's the problem? There seem to have been some untold conflict between the Pharisees and the tax collectors of whom Matthew was one. They had a lot of issues with tax collectors. See, the Lord is sitting with them eating. Oh, how come you're sitting with the tax collectors and the sinners? They seem to be against them. Maybe that led Matthew to say, well, I'm going to investigate on you. Our third daughter reminded me that, oh, look, they were against tax collectors, but they themselves, the Lord said, they love money so much. What do you call that? Hypocrisy. Do you know what hypocrisy means? My definition of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is a contradiction between what is inside you and what you want people to see from outside. It's a contradiction between the language of your heart and the language of your mouth. That's hypocrisy. Pharisees are first mentioned in Matthew chapter 3 verse 7. In which terms? Where John the Baptist called them brood of vipers. These are the righteous people. John the Baptist called them brood of of vipers. And the last time they are mentioned is in Philippians chapter 3 verse 5 where Paul says that he was himself a Pharisee and he described how he lived as a Pharisee according to the, this is a definition, a true definition of a Pharisee. Paul defined in Acts 26 verse 5, I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest party of our religious system. That's what a Pharisee is very strict on observance, on ceremonies, on ritualistic and dogma, that's a Pharisee. In Matthew 9, verse 11 to 12, after Matthew, the tax collector followed the Lord to become one of his disciples, many other tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with the Lord and with his disciples. The Bible says this, quotes, When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciple, Why does your teacher, that's the Lord, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, 
He said to them, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I am sick. Remember that man who said, I'm not coming to the church because there are so many hypocrites. I say, I'm one of them and I need to be healed. Unless you are perfect, there's still a place for one more. He was so challenged by that. Now, let's see some characteristics of the Pharisees very quickly. The Pharisees fasted regularly. The Pharisees kept saying, Jesus Christ was Beelzebul. They say he was the prince. He was healing people by the power of the prince of demons. That's what they say to the Lord. They obeyed the Sabbath strictly and they rebuked the Lord because his disciples did not, apparently. The Lord had to reveal to them, I am the master of the Sabbath. Man was not created for the Sabbath, it's the other way around. They plotted to kill Jesus. The Lord warned against their teaching. If you search online somewhere, you will find a series I gave maybe two, three years ago. A series of three teaching. If you remember, the level of the Pharisees, the level of the Sadducees, and the level of Herod. So there is in-depth study on the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, and Herod. So not going into that. But you can see when you summarize these things, you can begin to understand what the doctrine of the uh, Pharisees mean when the Lord is warning Keep yourself away from the doctrine of the Pharisees. In French, I say le poids des étiquettes. You see, outside is nice, but inside nothing. The Lord says, white, washed, tombs full of rotten bones. But on the outside, it looks perfect. The Pharisees made too much noise, but they achieved very little for God. The church should avoid such attitude, pretending to care for the lost and making them worse once they get in the church. That's dangerous. You see, the Great Commission is organized. Make disciples, then teach them to observe everything. The fact that someone crossed in the church doesn't mean I'm now in heaven, is finished, I can do my own thing. No. The Lord has given ministries. The Lord has given gifts. The Lord has given spiritual qualification to help one another. For the edification of the church and the equipping of the saints. Paul told Timothy, if I delay you should know how to conduct yourself in the household of God, which is both the ground and the pillar of truth. So there is a learning process in the house of God. We can't just come with our own. No. Well, this is actually uh, the saying of the master, the Lord. He said, you make them twice. You go in the streets... You say you're going to evangelize and then eventually you get one. That's what the Lord is saying. You get one. And then what? 
you make them twice as much as son of hell as yourself. Matthew 23 verse 15. So you bring people let me give you an illustration of that. A sister who was singing in a choir in our church in Burundi she was married to a non-believer. And she used to complain all the time about his behavior. Her husband was uh, a chef. He was working, so he was uh, always gone in uh, functions and parties and catering engagements, etc. He was doing that. And most of the time we said to her, you need to be with me as a requirement for my job. And he will be the one buying for her the kind of clothes he wanted her to wear. And it was unpleasant for her. Unpleasant. There would always be tension because this is what is a party, you have to wear this. She said, No, but I'm good. You have to wear this. And every day she came, pray for me. It's so hard at home. My husband is a non believer. It's so hard. Eventually, the husband came to Christ. I'm not going to say the name here in case people in Burundi hear this. And the husband, I think we were baptized the same day maybe. He won't miss prayer meeting. He was like this. And he was always find excuses and reason, you know, when he's going for those uh, night shift. And he would say, my wife is not feeling well. My, because he knows if he brings his wife, they will say, this is the dress code. So he always excuse her, etc. One day, his wife came to him and said, can I speak to you? Can I talk to you? He said, yes. He said, are you Abraham now? husband said, why? Well, you know, I do need some freedom to dress. Oh. The husband said, oh, I thought you were offended before. Noise. She loved that thing. She loved doubtful fashion before. But she knew that I could maybe meet, you know, a Christian or someone and I have to excuse myself and accuse, find an alibi and say it's my husband. But that's what was in her heart. When the husband decides Christ and his way now, she comes back, she was missing that fashion. She starts calling her husband Abraham to mock him. <laughs> The Pharisees were hypocrites who were holy only in appearance but were full of uncleanness inside them. I already say hypocrisy is a contradiction between the real state of our hearts and what we, prof we profess from the outside. Pharisees were like whitewashed tomb that took beauty, that looked beautiful on the outside, etc. The Lord said, but they are full of rotten bones inside. Mark chapter 8, verse 15, the Lord say, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Watch out and beware of the way of the Pharisees. Self-righteousness. Despising others. 
buffaloes. Attention. Now, the tax collector. A tax collector in some version of the Bible, in French Bible, in other version, they call les publicains, publicans, because they were like uh, HMRC revenue officers. Tax gatherers, revenue officers, tax collectors were associated with sinners. They were associated with pagan and with prostitutes even. They were the outcast of the society, the bad guys. Well, Calvinists would have called them reprobates or unprincipled or people fit for hell, predestined to damnation. Yet the Lord commanded the way they responded to his words. The position and the sophisticated prayer of the Pharisee display beyond any shadow of doubt his superiority complex. Self-righteousness and pride. Self-righteousness and pride, I say, are two sides of the same coin. Self-righteousness, you look inside yourself, tick, tick, tick. You look outside, cross, cross, cross. That's pride and self-righteousness. Two sides of the same coin. We could see that in the Pharisee uh, display of pride. Now, these two things, self-righteousness and pride, need to be kept under close watch in line with God's precepts. We, as Bible teachers, There was a church where someone say about uh, the, the, the pastor, the pastor was called Albert Lucusa, a very good pastor. And someone say to another believer, I don't even listen to him. That's the principal pastor in the church. I don't even listen to him. The way of the master is to take up own cross and to follow him. It's to die to self and in lowliness of mind to esteem others better than ourselves. Huh? What? Esteem others better than ourselves? No way. Yet, that's the way of the master. Esteem it doesn't say others are better than you, but just be armed with that mind. Just be in, at that level. They are better than me. You will have peace. The way of the master. In Matthew 21, apologies are run over slightly today. Matthew 21, verse 28 to 32. Matthew 21, 28 to 32. But what do you think? A man had two sons and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted 
he regretted it and went. Verse 30. Then he came, that's the father. Then he came to the second, second and say likewise. And he said and he answered and said, I go, sir. Pay attention to the tone. I go, sir. That's his father. I go, sir. But he didn't go. Which of the two did the will of his father? The Lord asked. They said, the first. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Tax collectors and prostitutes will enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and prostitutes did believe. And even when you saw it, you did not change your mind and believe in him. That's why I was telling you that the Lord commanded the tax collectors. So the Pharisees had their own perception the Lord had his own perception. I've been a Christian since I was three years old. You know, I'm coming from a Christian family. My dad was a preacher. You know, we've been doing like this in this church. It's always like that. You know, I'm the great grandchild of John Wesley. I know where they live. It means nothing as far as God is concerned. Nothing. Only receiving Christ and playing by his rules. You see, they had their own perception of the tax collectors. But the Lord said, no. You've heard the word of God. You haven't obeyed. They will go before you because of their response. Back to Luke 18. Luke 18, verse 9 to 12. The Pharisee went through the motions of prayer. But he was really not speaking to God. Check out the text. He was almost speaking to himself. He was almost praising himself. He was rather boasting about his own moral and religious achievement. Instead of comparing himself with God's perfect standard and seeing how sinful he really was, he compared himself with other people and prided himself of being better. This is evidenced by his frequent repetition of the personal pronoun I. Between verse 11 and verse 12, he say I five times. Five times between verse 11 and 12. I. Someone reminded that uh, in, the, in the word sin, I is in the middle. But when you look at the tax collector, he did not even say I. Someone may argue and say, yeah, but there is a me there. He said me. Yeah. He only referred to me to identify himself as the sinner before God. Have mercy upon me. And you can see the Bible say he was beating his breast. Me. Lord, not him. I am the sinner. 
That one was saying, I'm not like that one. This one was saying, is me, Lord. I am the sinner. I need your forgiveness. Have mercy upon me. Lord, is me. It's not my wife. It's not my husband. It's not my cousin. It's not my mom. It's, not, it's me. The way of the master. Luke 18 verse 13 we see the contracts the, the contrast there the tax collector stood afar off and spoke to God ah the other one spoke for himself the other one spoke to God but look at the position the Pharisee stood up probably in a prominent place because the Bible said that they love being in prominent place He's a child of the house. He knows where you can stand for everybody to see you. And he knows which technical word he can use to appeal to people. Curiosity. Look at the expression he's using. I give tithes. I fast try. All the religious, technical words, let's call them like, like that. I'm not like that one. The other one was not in a prominent position. No. He was afar off, but talking to God. You can imagine what he was saying. I don't think the Bible has translated to us everything that man could have been saying. If he was beating his breast before God. You can imagine what he was saying before God. Knowing already that he's a bad guy. I am that wretched and sinner. It's me, Lord. It's not someone else who needs your forgiveness. Oh, God, be merciful to me. I am the sinner. Verdict from the Lord. Luke 18, verse 14. The tax collector went home more justified than the tax collector. God is not mocked. No. No. All the fantasy outside, the appearance of holiness, God is not mocked. God sees the inside and pronounces his verdict. If imagine the people who were sitting in the temple and looking the tax collector and looking the Pharisees from human perspective, what would be the appreciation? They were all wrong. The tax collector was justified before God. Let us be humble before God. Let us be humble before fellow human beings. Many conflicts in the churches, in families, household, one reason, maybe two. Pride, selfishness. Remember, two sides of the same coin. Humility. The Bible says, why won't you suffer wrong a little bit? 
pourquoi ne souffrirez-vous pas d'un peu d'injustice Why can't you let it... Oh. Justin, no. We all write all the time. Who will pay the cost, the price? Who? To get the household move forward in peace. Who will pay the cost? Husband doesn't want to be wrong. Wife doesn't want to be wrong. Children don't want to be wrong. Parents don't want to be wrong. Everybody is everybody. Chaos. Okay. I'm gonna... Oh, it's the end. Okay. That's right. But let's say something on justification now. Let's say something on justification because there is a bit of confusion on the passage there depending on how people are looking at it and people take that as salvation wherever people see justification in the Bible they confuse with salvation. You look at Adam, Abraham's life you say, oh Abraham was justified that means he was saved. You look at everywhere the Bible says justification you say, oh, it's salvation. people say, you see, so you can be saved by work. This man was justified but justification is not salvation as simple as that. Well, I know, because many of you, you are very intelligent and readers. Don't oppose me with Martin Luther. He's big. Martin Luther is big. You know, I'm laughing. Martin Luther is big, and John Wesley, don't oppose me with them. They know what they, what they were saying. I'm just saying that James chapter 2, verse 24 is not in contradiction with Ephesians 2, 8. They're talking about two different things. You see, a man is not justified only by faith, but also by work is justification. But Ephesians emphatically saying we are saved by grace through faith. End of the story. Salvation and justification are not the same. To be justified only means to be accounted for justice, for righteousness. To, to have done something right, that's right. That's all it means. So the tax collector had done what is right, but don't conclude that, oh, you see salvation by work. Attention. Pass quickly. No need for that. The clearest possible scripture is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of work. But James 2.24 says you are justified with works. And so you see what Martin Luther said, John Wesley said, who are you? Well, I'm just quoting the Bible. Justification is not the same as salvation. Even though it can be part of it along the line. This is not important, okay. Have you heard the word narcissism? What's the, what's the right pronunciation? Okay, I'm not too far, okay. Narcissism or self-admiration plays a key role in self-exalting. If you love yourself too much, there's no, the whole universe can crumble and you stay yourself there. Do you know where that came from, by the way? I learned that there was someone who went to, river, to the river, something like that, and then went to the river and then saw his reflection in the water and decided to stay there forever. We should not be like that. No. We should not be like that. Now listen. 
Example number one. There was a man who was a super narcissist. Super. When he attends a baby dedication, he will not be satisfied until he can imagine himself being on the place of the baby. You see, because everybody is sharing the baby. She's cute, he's cute, etc. He's not happy. Only if he can imagine himself sitting there and everybody cheering him, then he's satisfied. He attends the wedding ceremony, not happy. Unless he can picture himself being the bride in the white robe, etc., then he's happy. If that makes you feel good, listen to this one then. When you attend the burial service, <laughs> unless he can think himself as the coffin, he won't be satisfied. Self-admiration. Self-admiration. It's been said that in Rome there was a general who won the war, a war, and then they decided to build a monument for him, but there was another general who was not satisfied. Whenever he passed, he looked at the monument, he felt like just dying. And he decided every day to go there with his hammer. Every day. It was hard work. One day he said, today, until this thing fall, I'm not going to go home. He worked so hard. He brought all his tools and the thing fell and he fell on him and he died. Self-admiration. Me, 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 me. He can go all over the place. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm a prettier. I'm a this. I'm a this. Me, 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 me. Well, if you think you are a prettier, think of someone called Esther in the Bible. If you think you are strong, think of someone called Samson in the Bible. If you think you are handsome, think of Joseph of David. If you think you are strategic, intelligent, bright, think of Daniel. There's nothing new under the earth. Do small. Humble. I think we've reached the end. That's not too bad. Everyone thinks he's right and everyone else is wrong. First Corinthians 6, 7, ask this question. Why do you not rather accept a bit of wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourself to be defrauded? Satan was cast out of heaven because of pride, but Jesus Christ our Lord and Master is gentle and lowly of heart. The way of the Master is the mind of Christ, who humbled himself to death on the cross. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. And you shall find rest unto your souls. Like a lamb before his shearers is dumb, he opened not his mouth. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Thank you very much for your patience, and I suggest that. If you learn a little something, you take it home. If you think you've learned a little something, and I suggest you do like Bartimaeus. You shout to the Lord and say, help me. When your family, your church members, etc., 
might represent those disciples who will quiet you and say, don't make too much noise. But keep on crying to the Lord. Keep on shouting to the Lord. He's able to understand right from your heart and bring help if you will receive it. Let's bow our head and pray. Heavenly Father, we bless you, O God, for these uh, very basic and simple things, maybe trivial, which you have hidden to the wise of this world, the sophisticated, but you have revealed to the simple, those who will receive, those who will see the benefit of these things and live by them. May your spirit help us to grow in Christ-likeness, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.